let's talk about like this idea in general of launching businesses when we have an agency because this could be a really bad idea. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right, today is your lucky day. You're getting a a two-for-one deal on the podcast. So we essentially have two podcasts and one today. First, I'm bringing my business partner, Jonathan, on because we have a big announcement. We're big fans of working in public, so we're finally putting ourselves out there. This is something we've been working on in the background for quite some time, and today we'll share it with you. But it's something we're calling the $3 million challenge. And It involves us launching three companies with the goal of getting each one of them to seven figures in a pretty short time frame. And we're going to be documenting everything we're doing along the way. But excited to share this with you. Uh, We've been working on this for a while, so really interested to get your feedback and hope we don't totally mess up in public, but we will see. And then the second part of today's episode is an interview with a good friend of mine, Mike Soroka. He's the co-founder of DealPath. They are doing what Asana did to project management. They're doing that for real estate transactions. They've grown like crazy. They've raised $24 million and that's just the start of it. So if you're looking to go into a space that's ready to be, not to say the word too much, but disrupted by technology and innovation, there's a lot to learn from Mike and what he's done with DealPath, but also from working at Zynga and starting his own startup before that one season. So hope you enjoy today's episode. Here we go. All right, welcome, welcome. Um, today, I'm bringing my business partner, Jonathan, back on because um, he needs more calendars or, or more meetings on his calendar. And we, we have an announcement we're going to do today. We're, we'll put ourselves out there. Uh, we've, we've had some big goals we've been working on behind the scenes. We're like, you know what, today, let's come out and let's put our uh, ourselves on the line. But Jonathan, excited to have you on today and welcome. Absolutely. Thank you for having me again, Jim. Uh, excited to talk about like some of the interesting topics we have on our agenda. But yeah, awesome to be back on. Yeah, so we we have this idea. So first, let's give some context. We have an agency called GrowthEd. It's a, a growth marketing agency, and we've been working on that for a while. But when we grow up, whenever the business grows up, we have some other goals. And one of the big goals is, hey, if we're such a good growth team, why can't we grow our own companies? Why can't we own our own brands, own our own tools? And so we, we've we been hitting our head against the wall, be like, why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? We're like, let's just do it. And so we've been building up our profits and the goal is to have a portfolio of 10 companies, launching a new company every two, year, every two years, 18 months, or acquiring a new company to build up this portfolio. And so we've decided to create this challenge that we're calling the $3 million challenge, where we're going to try to launch or acquire three businesses and get them to a million dollars in annual sales. So we've decided to do this and to work in public and to document every step of the way because it's very easy to document stuff and show, oh, here's how it worked and everything that we were really smart about. But that's not really the truth. We thought it'd be more fun to kind of chronicle, hey, here's what's working. Okay, here's an idea we had, and here's how it completely failed. But also, just by putting ourselves out there, I think it holds us more accountable. 
But Yantan, anything you want to add to this this challenge we're putting out there? Yeah, I think the biggest part is about working in public is um, the public holds you accountable by definition, and we're forced to meet the goals that we set for ourselves. I think part of documenting it, one, forces us just to think better, uh, something about documenting it, whether it's writing or whatever format we decide to use, that just forces us to like crystallize our thinking. And I think uh, one other huge benefit, obviously, is the public learns from this the same way we've learned from other people. Uh, so it's, uh, it's an act of giving back in that sense. So these are definitely the big uh, wins from this. Yeah, even when I when I wrote my book, I remember I was thinking about it, working on it for a while. And then one day I just threw it out there. I was like, hey, I'm launching a book in nine months. And then people responded and they like retweeted and they responded to me a few months later, like, hey, when's that book going to come out? I was like, oh my gosh, I actually have to write this thing. Um, I definitely missed the deadline, but by putting myself out there and people like having public accountability, it forced me to get it done. So we're hoping that by putting ourselves out there, it'll it'll push us even even harder. So let's talk about like this idea in general of launching businesses when we have an agency, because this could be a really bad idea. It's like, hey, you guys have something good going here. Why are you taking your eye off the ball to try and launch these new businesses? Because You've, we've seen a lot of agencies try and do this and fail. But on the flip side, you've seen some businesses do this, some agencies do it, and it's a complete game changer, right? You've got 37 Signals that started as a web development and design agency. They launched a software tool called Basecamp that has gone on to do extremely well. Jeff Bezos is an investor in it. You have Meta Labs, which started as a design agency. They did design work for Slack. The founders went on to create Tiny, that's Andrew Wilkinson, and they've invested in over 30 companies. And they have a company that's on the stock exchange right now. Even Helpful Human, they're out here in Seattle. They're a development shop that launched the Shopify Experiences app. So I think this could go one of two ways. that We could be just taking the profits we make and just completely burning it, which might not be a good idea, or it could lead to something that, that could be really special. But, but Jonathan, is, is this a good idea or a bad idea? I initially thought it was a bit of a bad idea, to be honest with you. And, the, and the, I think what really convinced me at first, this is actually the right direction, is our core skill set is not so much building agencies. It's the work that we do for clients, the, the reason they pay us, the reason we exist, essentially, are the skill sets of our amazing team that we've built over the years. And the big question we had is, if we're doing this for clients, can why not do it for ourselves? If that skill set exists, it should apply in our scenario, in our unique scenario as well, in the companies that we either create or decide to acquire. So in that, in that sense, it's not much of a, uh, a shift. We're not, like, we're not abandoning the business world to go be like uh, underwater basket weavers or something that's completely un- unrelated. It's we're taking our core skill set and applying it and these ventures that we uh, will, we will own. So in that sense, it's, it's totally in line with what we're doing. And in terms of like some of the companies that that definitely inspire us, you hit on a few of them, a few more that I just want to add to that. Um, 37 Signals that changed into Basecamp is definitely the, the biggest one, I would say. Uh, they're the most impressive one. You can think about Buffer. Buffer is, I remember like literally um, when they had the first 50 clients, I, that's when I started following them. And the content marketing they've done there is unbelievable. Help Scout, um, we can talk about HubSpot as well with Darmesh, uh, Neil Patel with uh, Crazy Egg and Hitten Shah as well, working with him a lot. And then obviously Nathan Berry with ConvertKit. Obviously, you've had him on this podcast as well. So just a lot of examples of people 
working in public, building a loyal fan base, and then that fan base obviously becoming customers as well. So they seeded their their companies with that initial uh, fan base that they built over time. So yeah, definitely. These are, uh, imagine the the best examples I can come up with. Yeah, right now our fans are your mom and my mom. So we have to buy a company that's targeted towards them. So we, we've got the persona nailed. I'm a little worried about the TAM, the total addressable market, but that's okay. Um, but no, those are really good calls. And even I was reading about MailChimp. They started as actually an agency and then pivoted, obviously, into a very, very big exit as a software company, but not as much as working in public as the other ones you've mentioned. But another yeah. thing you hit on on why this could be a, a horrible idea is we have proven we are good as a, a growth team and we've worked with 100 plus clients. We've also proven we can build processes and systems. What we have not proven is we aren't necessarily good as a CTO. We aren't necessarily great at finance and accounting, maybe customer service or even product marketing are things that we haven't truly like proven ourselves. So there is a lot of unknown unknowns. And one thing we're trying to do to de-risk that is be very honest with ourselves. Like, hey, this is where we're strong. But by the way, here's where we are very much lacking. So how do we either find partners to fill that void? Or if we acquire business, acquire business where they're already doing those things where we don't have the skills. And that's something that you and I are trying to be very honest with ourselves as we're figuring out our investment thesis. Absolutely. And regardless, I think uh, if you think about it, like I don't, I can't think of any company that had all these skill sets on day one when they launched. It's, it's uh, it's a process. Uh, we have a lot to start with. We're starting from a high level, from a high base, and uh, we can definitely uh, go from there and acquire the remaining skill sets that are needed. But yeah. All right. So first, why, why three companies? Um, and one reason for that is we're actually going after essentially three business models. Um, one is the existing agency that we have. The second is a direct-to-consumer product. And the third is an acquisition-based company that, that'll probably end up being SaaS, software as a service. So why those three businesses? And first, the agency, we already have that. Um, and we have passed the, the seven-figure mark. We've talked about that in a, a previous episode. One thing that we're really looking to do with this business is, hey, can we really prove that we can scale this and not productize it, but systematize it so it can run in a very efficient way? We're about to go really deep onto the framework of EOS, the entrepreneur operating system from the book Traction to run this company the right way. Like you and I have made a very conscious effort to be like, hey, let's actually really invest into building this the right way, which I think in the short term, like, oh crap, do we want to pay that money to do it? But and we're playing the long game and we think it's the right move. And so let's talk about the D2C startup. Why are we going after D2C? So one thing that we're working on and you're kind of championing is this idea of a validation system. Because we have seen so many companies have a cool idea and they launch it, but the truth is there's no market for it. So we're trying to build this muscle of, hey, can we validate an idea to see if it's worthy of becoming a business? Or in other words, can we be idea killers? That way we don't waste time and money pursuing something that isn't going to materialize into anything. So there are two ways we can go about this. We can come up with our own idea, start it from scratch and go from there. The other is to acquire something that's already in motion, uh, take our skill sets and scale it from there. 
So D2C is uh, one of the first pain points, or at least the company that uh, that we're launching in the D2C space is addressing a big uh, pain point. And obviously, Jim, I know you'll have a different episode completely dedicated to this, so I won't go too much into detail. But this is our first attempt at taking our validation process, something that we use for clients internally and that validation pre-product market fit stage, and seeing if we can apply it on our own venture, uh, a problem that we've noticed and a solution that we have to address that problem. Can we build a company around it? The other thing we're doing simultaneously, which we'll probably expand on again, is can we take something that's already in motion and go through an acquisition process and take that company from where it is, add our skills to it, our value add, and make it something larger, better, and more valuable. So these are two things that we're running simultaneously, but uh, there are definitely a lot of things we'll have to learn. And uh, the best part, I think, about the validation one that we don't necessarily have with the acquisition one is we can always kill the idea. If it doesn't work, if there's no product market fit, the market doesn't want it for whatever reason, it dies, and then we move on to the next idea. So we're not entirely married to it. It's a very uh, We're taking um, a very experimental mindset into this, and uh, hopefully it'll work. But if it doesn't, we're more than happy to kill it and move on to the next best idea. Yeah, it might be tough for me, I think, rather than you to be able to tell yourself that your baby's ugly and, and kill the idea. But we're, one thing that we're worried about is if we have an idea, we can't let it go this long, slow, painful death. Because I think everybody that's listening to this, if you go to your GoDaddy account, you've got some URLs or domains in there for some half-baked startup idea that you just won't let die. And so what we want to do is be like, okay, if we have this idea, let's get very focused and go all in on it. But we're only giving ourselves nine months to stand up an MVP version of a brand, a website, drive traffic, and see if we can prove that this is worthy of becoming a business. And I think time actually over money is the most important thing because we're actually, we're probably going to be investing up to $30,000 in ads on it. We'll be investing $15,000 on our research and development and manufacturing the product. Probably even a little bit more on just like website costs and some other scrappy marketing tactics. And I'm not saying that's not insignificant money. I'm more worried about the time. I don't want to look back in five years and be like, yep, we're just one test away from, you know, making this thing be something. And so I, I think for me, it's being efficient with our time on the D to C model. Having the system uh, that, that lets us know, hey, guys, this is the time to kill this idea. It doesn't have the traction that you expected. I think is definitely uh, something that's an important part of this. And I'm glad you bring that up. And at Atomic VC, which is a startup studio, they started off launching a new company every year, then twice a year, then once a month. And so we're using this first one to build that machine of how to decide if an idea is worthy of becoming a business. And then the, the second business we're standing up will be an acquisition-based business. So what Jonathan and I are super fired up about is if we can catch a company that is past product market fit, where they already have you know, a product, they have a website stood up, they have paying customers, but let's say they lack some of the skills that we have in growth, that would be our ideal company. So by the way, if you run a company that does really well and you're doing nothing in growth, uh, hit us up where we are around. But what we're really trying to do is get some reps and hey, how do we acquire a business? How do you even find these companies? How do you do due diligence? 
How do you do valuations? How do you negotiate how to buy it if it's straight up cash, if it's seller side financing? Do you and I need to like hand over our firstborn and get a loan? Like, what does that look like? Um, and we're even earmarking, like, how much money do we want to do for that? Like, right now, we're like, okay, we could put up to $200,000 down, but like, what does that even look like with terms? So we'll, we'll be talking about that. I think I have more um, questions than answers. And I actually used to work in investment banking and M&A. And I, I'm literally going to Google researching some of this stuff as we do due diligence. But what, what are you thinking through as we're looking to acquire businesses? <laughs> so one of the downsides of acquiring a business uh, as opposed to uh, running our validation system and building a, a company from scratch is we are actually quite married to this business in the sense that money has already been invested and we are essentially committing to it for the foreseeable future. So um, we're learning a lot about uh, sourcing deals, about building the right investment criteria so that we're actually sourcing the kind of companies we want to we want to invest our time and energy in for, for the foreseeable future. Uh, but yeah, there's there's just definitely, as you said, Jim, there's a lot, a lot to learn in this process. Uh, and I think one of the big advantages, I think, that we won't even understand until we are doing it is this whole documenting our, our process, or at least I should say like working in public, is one way to attract those companies to us as we declare our intentions to the world, let them know that these are the kind of companies we want to work with, or uh, this is our investment thesis. I actually feel like some of these companies that, that might be uh, you know good candidates might end up coming into our, uh, into our immediate circle. So that could be the unexpected benefit of this whole working in public. Man, I wish they would just fall into our lap and make it so much easier. I, I've been uh, not spraying and praying, but when I, I like to wake up, have my coffee, and then I go on Flippa, MicroAcquire, and I just crawl the web looking for companies, and I, I throw some uh, some DMs at them, and I'm, I'm getting rejected left and right, but that's okay. Well, also, there's a good book, uh, Buy, Then Build, by Walker Dybul, that we should be... He's going to be coming on the podcast, so I am very excited to get some awesome and free advice from him. But there, yeah, there's a lot we have to learn in this one. And the other thing is we're looking at SaaS companies is... We are looking to acquire a SaaS company that comes with a CTO, that comes with the technical partner. If not, we'll probably bring on like an entrepreneur in residence that could function in that capacity. But that is um, definitely um, a key component to pulling that one off. Absolutely. Uh, there's uh, can't wait to hear that episode from uh, the author of Buy to Build. Uh, been reading his book so many times, but yeah, definitely a lot of golden nuggets in that. All right. So... The third business, we're kind of cheating on this one, but that's okay. Um, it's our own agency. It's growth it. So we, we've already grown it to that milestone we want to hit. But here's the thing that I think a lot of companies or even founders, the wall they hit, you can grow your business to a certain size, but here's the problem. You paint yourself into a corner where like, wow, this is, this is a great business. It's running well, but it's running because I'm eating, sleeping, you know, dreaming about it. And if I, I can't even take a break because it's so dependent on me. So one thing that we want to do, and if any clients are listening, we're not walking away from the agency. We love having a growth agency because it keeps us sharp. But we want to be able to run the business and work on the business and not have to be a part of the machine and, and be in it. So what we really want to document is like, how are we able to separate ourselves from you know having to be on every single meeting to actually building like the best growth team that's out there and run a really profitable premium boutique agency. 
And so we're investing in a lot of things. We're going through EOS, entrepreneur operating system, upgrading systems, and even just how in the heck do we find the best people at growth and attract them to growth hit to be a part of the team. So we'll talk about that. Those are some of like the very real growing pains that you don't even realize when you think about starting an idea because it's just like this idea in your head and it's a spreadsheet. But then when it becomes real, it's like, man, scaling, it's, it, it's so much more complex than you realize. So I think that will be an interesting one to document. Yeah, especially the, the um, we're us going through the EOS, I feel like uh, will definitely be a big value add for most readers or people who follow this journey because uh, we'll, we are actually in the process of going through it and most of those insights are going to be fresh. So uh, definitely a lot of uh, valuable things that'll be coming from that side as well. Actually, very exciting. I'd say about as exciting as anything else we're doing. Yeah, and after talking to four plus agency owners with companies much bigger than ours, um, they're all like, yeah, well, I was struggling. It was really hard. And then I did EOS and now I have a life and can go on vacation. And I literally heard it five times. I was like, all right, it is time to go all in on EOS. And that's from the book Traction. We get no affiliates from it. However, we should. Um, but check it out. It's, it's a pretty cool framework. All right. So we've listed the three companies that we want to go after. Um, are we fundraising to to go after this? Well, the dumb answer is probably no. And why is that? Well, you know, as we're I'm not saying we're just rolling in money, but as we're getting profits from the agency, this is how we want to invest it to build this portfolio. And with the companies we're doing, we're not trying to get these companies that are going to go on to become unicorns and have billion dollar valuations. We're looking for small giants companies that can do something really well, but in specific niches. And we are looking to own a majority share, if not, you know, 100% outright. Could this change? Absolutely. Like, please convince me why I'm wrong and why we should raise money. But we also like being able to control the funds how we want based on what we're excited about, as opposed to having to report to an advisory board or investors. But um, Jonathan, are we are we dumb for not uh, borrowing getting some investors involved in this? I think the uh, biggest advantage of not raising money is that it's going to force us to be disciplined about the limited resources and you know make sure that the, the business has legs and that we're not just chasing uh, some you know random story. And uh, I feel like that will be a, a very strategic advantage to us, at least initially. But then obviously, like as, as these ideas like mushroom and they require more and more capital, I feel like fundraising and attracting outside capital might be a path to take. But I think we can make that decision uh, when we get to that bridge. But for now, I feel like this is definitely the best way to go. And, but obviously, we're going to document this process. So <laughs> you guys will be the judge of it as we, as, we, uh, as we go through this process. Yeah. And we'll be very straightforward with how much we're spending on stuff. Like for me, with this direct-to-consumer product, like how much does it cost to make a prototype? How much does it cost to order your first batch? How do you negotiate to get that down? And I'm even interested in, you know, Shopify Capital and CapChase and ClearCo, how you can get loans. Because one thing that's been really interesting is that money isn't necessarily the blocker. It's, it's really time and focus from us. And I mean, you could also argue if you had money, you could hire more people to give you that or even getting the right people to focus on it. But if all of a sudden we had $5 million in the bank, I think we'd still be having the same problems. We'd still be focusing on the same things at this stage, at least, until it got more, more sophisticated. But 
what type of content are we going to be putting out there? So we'll be doing monthly financial updates on how everything's going and just tracking how much money things are making or losing. Um, we'll be doing podcast updates. We'll be, we'll be going pretty deep into different parts of it. Like we'll, we'll be talking about actually a deal. We almost pulled the trigger on, but ended up walking away from this $300,000 deal. I'm really excited to talk about how we came up with the problem that we want to solve for the D2C product. One other one that we're going to hit on is this validation process we're, we're creating because we've been inspired by like Sean Ellis, who came up with the phrase, phrase growth hacker. He had the, the 40% rule on if people wouldn't be very, very disappointed if your product went away. If over 40% of people weren't disappointed, then you don't have product market fit. So you, you've been going deep into that and wanting to innovate on it. So we'll be talking about that and obviously documenting um, you know, the, the agency side of things as, as we're looking to kind of scale it. But um, what, what are some other things we should be putting out there? I think just uh, mapping out the journey, whether it's on the acquisition front, sourcing deals, nailing down our investment thesis, uh, and then obviously, as you said, there was that one example of a company, the 300,000 deal that we didn't close on. There are going, definitely going to be many more uh, down the line. And then obviously the whole validation process for us building a company from scratch, what works, what doesn't, the experiments we take. I think there would definitely be a lot more learnings on this end because I feel like there are going to be many more iterations. If our first attempt at uh, the DDC brand doesn't work, uh, we definitely have more, more room, more wiggle room to try to take more shots. Uh, on goal to hopefully find the one company that works. So definitely going to be a lot of a lot of learning um, for us, obviously, but as we documented for everyone else as well. So definitely uh, really excited about all this stuff that we're going to be churning out. Yeah, we'll definitely document the failures. I'll try and put some spin on it to act like why it's a good thing. But I know um, you all can know as you're reading between the lines, I'll be secretly devastated. But yeah, we we will definitely document the good and the bad. Um, well, cool, man. Well, I don't know if there's anything else to hit on it, but um, I think we'll do another touch base here in a few weeks to give the, the latest update. But anything else you want to end on? No, not at all. Uh, can't wait until we... Uh you know, begin publishing some of this content and letting the world know what we're up to. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to get started with that. The, the, the people will be very excited. We'll, we'll see what the reach is. But no, man, this is super fun, excited. All right, so I'm here today with a, a good friend of mine, Mike Soroka. So I used to live in Dallas uh, back in the day and work in a completely world, different world of finance and investment making. And there was one guy that was working in finance, but he quit everything and he went off to San Francisco and started getting into startups. And I don't know if Mike, you even know this, but you were one of the reasons why I kind of made the leap because I was following what you were doing. You're cool enough to always like give me updates, but it was super inspiring. But anyway, Mike, beyond excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here, Jim, and great to be catching up together. Yeah, and so you've got a really fun story because you started your own thing that had a, a faster growth rate than Facebook. You've gone to Zynga, and you have a current project, Deal Path, that we'll, we'll get into the weeds on. But how do you introduce yourself when people ask you what you do? Well, I, I guess it kind of depends on the context. So I can say that, you know, at my children's soccer games, uh, the intro is vastly different than in professional or different settings. But I think that, you know, maybe most relevant here is that I'm the co-founder and CTO of DealPath. DealPath is the leading deal management platform for real estate investments. And we can talk more about that business. Maybe by way of background, I was born and raised in Chicago. 
went to school and worked in Dallas, Texas, where Jim, you and I got to, to know each other, had started my career in real estate investment and really got kind of pulled into software development. And, and that moved me out to the Bay Area. I've been building venture-backed software companies for the past 15 years or so. It is pretty cool to see how it's gone full circle from starting to finance, going a few different routes with consumer-based products, and then back to DealPath. So let's actually start there. And I love looking at companies from the framework of three things, how you came up with an idea, one, two, how you got traction. We're like, holy crap, we're onto something. And then three, this level that you're at now of growing something, because you have some really impressive partners involved in DealPath. So first off, how did you even come up with this idea? Because for me, that looks very intimidating to be like, okay, I'm going to make a software product that is very premium. People are paying five, six figures for it. And you're working with some of the most sophisticated investors in the country. And you're this startup that has to build their trust. So talk me through, how did you come up with this idea? Yeah, first I didn't. And that was probably the important part is that there was a significant kind of demand pull from from the market. And this gets so intertwined with kind of my background, I, I might rehash a few things, I guess, you know, starting working in, in real estate finance at a large real estate private equity firm, I kind of got exposed a little bit to larger scale private equity, and uh, unexpectedly got put onto some systems projects. And that wasn't necessarily for any particular interest or expertise, more just a matter of what was needed getting to kind of see under the hood a little bit there. And as I was working in software, um, we have really great specialized project management tools. Our product teams have, you know, Jira or Slack or Basecamp or some combination of those. Our sales teams have CRM systems. Our marketing teams have marketing automation systems. Our, you know, people operations teams have ATS platforms. Like every discipline has specialized project management software. And that was really what was missing in, in commercial real estate was it wasn't just the file sharing, it was the workflow that was broken for these investment teams. They didn't have the specialized tooling to, to do this important work. And so, you know, that became a lot more interesting. Um, real estate is an enormous industry and market and one that we felt like we had some understanding and access to. And uh, this uh, acute pain point and broken workflow that people were looking to solve for. Um, and, you know, that led to, you know, creating a company and an initial product. Um, and we are big, big fans and believers in minimizing variables. So initially, um, DealPath uh, was designed and built to be able to support the acquisition of a single tenant net lease retail property. This is a, a very, very specific type of real estate transaction. And as we built our confidence there, we expanded into doing multi-tenant, into doing portfolios, into doing different property types and different transaction types, where today, you know, we have supported more than $10 trillion in real estate transactions, and we have hundreds of enterprise clients and, and are powering many of the largest and most sophisticated real estate investors in the world. What's so interesting is, you know, I like how you give credit, like you didn't come up with the idea people had demand and you had almost this unfair advantage because your background of working in real estate finance and these and doing transactions, you have this network of people. They're like, hey, we have this problem. Someone please solve it. You're like, all right, whatever, you know, that's going to be solved by drop or, or Dropbox or whatever else. But then as you start to like look at problems to solve, you do the research, like, actually, this is a massive opportunity. Um, what I think... 
I would make me nervous is what is the MVP? What is the first version of this look like? Because it isn't like some consumer app you can put out there and people are okay with a, a beta test. You're going to people that are working with millions of dollars and they're expected to trust your software. Can you talk through what is that first, if you even remember, what did that first version look like? Um, I, I think that that's right. And, you know, I would agree with you that like, it's really, really important to um, hone in on what the kind of initial proof points that you're trying to solve for are um, and not necessarily try to boil the ocean too much there. And, you know, on the challenge, which is part of why there's an opportunity in this market, in this industry, there's a high expectation for quality and a very low tolerance for unexpected experiences. If you're doing transactions measured in you know the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars, uh, unexpected experiences are unacceptable. Um, and so um, I think that the uh, intensive customer research to understand exactly how people were working and to pick off the initial things that we were going to provide for them and having the benefit of you know uh, access to to capital that allowed us to build out a significant engineering team and the you know MVP product for this company was more significant than in previous businesses that we had developed before and there was kind of this evolution of like private alphas and private betas and a launch with like a kind of methodical rollouts to a wait list of customers as we were able to support them well. Um, but, you know, trying to identify, you know, what that kind of next variable to solve for is and making sure that we have it solved before trying to, to take on new or different things. That's really good advice. Just I'm all about moving fast and going for like the first version that isn't perfect, that solves a problem. But when you're doing B2B, dealing with a very sophisticated consumer or a sophisticated customer, like you need to meet them where they are, know that like the standards are higher. Because I even remember when you were launching this, my mom who works in real estate transactions, you were like, hey, I want to talk to her. And you did like a deep dive with her, meeting with her, really wanting to get it right. Because um, I don't, I think people struggle with, they want to stand something up and what does that first version look like? But I, I think there's some good insights there. I'd love to hear, when did you realize you had something? I kind of have two questions on that from what was the magic moment with your clients where they use it and they're like, okay, this is a game changer. And to give an example, like I use superhuman for email and I think it's magic because I get to inbox zero. It's really fast. I use pipe drive for my CRM and I can visually see my pipeline and it's very user friendly. So they're like building this loyalty with me. Like when did it start to click with people using the product and like, what was it about it that they love about your product? If you could like dumb it down for someone that's not in the industry like me. Yeah. Um, I would first say that at least for us, it wasn't like a, you know, silver bullets or single moments that there was clearly like a lot of pent up demand that there was this acute pain point in the industry where the work was inefficient and people were actively looking for ways to, to solve for that. And for our ability to solve for it, initially, we would have internal goals that were based off of product engagements and becoming a regular part of their business process and viewing engagement as a leading indicator for retention. Um, and 
you know, being able to expand into more use cases and deeper into the workflow for those use cases. And that might be, um, you know, measured in, in feature participation that is correlated with the, you know, engagement numbers that, again, is a leading indicator for retention. And it's been this persistent and consistent effort to improve over time rather than uh, like an aha moment that like, you know, it works or this is the whiz bang killer app or something like that. And I, yeah, I like kind of going deeper into those use cases that just add value to them. So I was thinking of you as like someone with a very creative mind. I mean, obviously, you know, Geopath is doing something really special, but I know you probably always have the wheels turning as far as like half-baked ideas or is there anything right now, whether it's like, industries or things that you're into that you wouldn't necessarily start, but you're like, that should exist. Or like, I wish somebody would start that or, Hey, I would be throwing money at that if that existed. And it could be any like random small problem you want to be solved or any like half baked startup idea that could be, be really big. But I'd be interested to see like where your head is at right now. Things that you think are interesting as far as like ideas that are kind of bouncing around in your head. Yeah, I am. 100% 100% fully committed and all in on deal path. And we have so much work ahead of us that there's really no space for anything else. I would say that, you know, for 20 years, I've been kicking around a concept that I continue to believe is intriguing. And you might remember me trying to, to talk about this over Shinerbox in, in Dallas back in the day, but I, I call it Mopoco for Moon Power Company. And the basic premise is um, harnessing hydrostatic pressure driven by lunar gravity. And um, I uh, will need support for people that are better in fluid dynamics um, than, than I am. But um, the, the general concept is building a pipeline from the Pacific Ocean, the 177 miles to Death Valley, where there is a significant volume of space that is below sea level and filling that pipe with salt water and allowing for the tidal changes to push water back and forth, driving turbines that create renewable energy that is completely forecastable. And I think that there is an answer that can be had before building anything and would love to understand that answer. That is a big idea. That is awesome. Not a small undertaking, but that, that's a really good one. I mean, and the applications, if you, that gets pulled off, are just quite massive so um very cool yeah well mike this was awesome man where would you like to point people if they want to learn more about deal path everything you're doing there or, or even stuff that you're doing um dealpath.com is the corporate website and has a lot of great information about the business um and um that is the i would say the best place to to learn more Check it out. It's beyond impressive. But Mike, this was super fun, man, to catch up and and get an update on everything. But thanks for t- coming on. Thanks for having me. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, 
GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.